Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. You have two sisters. I have two sisters. So I live with my middle sister. Are you the youngest or the oldest? I'm the youngest. Ha. Mm-hmm. I see. I was the youngest who then became the middle of three. So I get it. I get that dynamic. We very much have the birth order dynamics in our family. We all tease each other about that aspect. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. No, I joke. I was like, in the company, one of my superpowers is learning how to ignore people. <laughs> and I learned that from my siblings. <laughs> So I I never mind getting criticism. I never mind taking feedback because I'm really good at ignoring it. (laughs) You can say whatever you want. I'm going to, you know, make my own decisions then. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. Welcome to Mini Questions Season 2. I've always loved Proust's questionnaire. It was originally a 19th century parlor game where players would ask each other 35 questions aimed at revealing the other player's true nature. It's just the scientific method, really. In asking different people the same set of questions, you can make observations about which truths appear to be universal. I love this discipline. And it made me wonder, what if these questions were just the jumping off point? What greater depths would be revealed if I asked these questions as conversation starters with thought leaders and trailblazers across all these different disciplines? So I adapted Proust's questionnaire and I wrote my own seven questions that I personally think are pertinent to a person's story. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that's grown out of a personal disaster? And I've gathered a group of really remarkable people, ones that I am honoured and humbled to have had the chance to engage with. You may not hear their answers to all seven of these questions. We've whittled it down to which questions felt closest to their experience or the most surprising or created the most fertile ground to connect. My guest today on Mini Questions is the founder and CEO of the biotech phenomenon 23andMe, Anne Wojcicki. Anne founded the company with the central idea of creating a consumer product that sought to rework the healthcare model by empowering individuals to take control of their own health. I know when I did the DNA test, I was interested in my ancestry. You'll perhaps be unsurprised to hear that I'm virtually 100% Northern European, specifically Anglo-Saxon. The other focus, though, of 23andMe are these health reports the company also offer that give you a deeper, more complex view of your health using your DNA. It's pretty extraordinary to be able to find out if you're at increased risk of developing certain diseases ahead of actually developing them. It gives you a chance to take preventative measures, to really see your own health from the place of knowledge being power. Anne is an incredibly inspiring person to talk to. She was the kind of child who lay in bed at night wondering about molecular biology and the expanding universe. Uh, But she also seems to be the kind of person who wouldn't judge someone like me who used to lie in bed at night dreaming about being on Night Rider.
Where and when were you happiest? There's two things. So one, I mean, which I think every mom would say is like the birth of my children was just, there's nothing better than the day your children are born. There's just, there's no comparison. Yes. But when I think about, <laughs> besides that moment, um, which I have to must honor, I took off a year <laughs> Uh, when I was traveling after the stock market went crazy in 2000 and I finally said like I need a break and I decided that the only place I could go to get peace and quiet was Siberia <laughs> oh you like the cold okay <laughs> well it was in the summer well no I take it back it was it was September I made the mistake it got cold uh, maybe I left in August but I decided I was going to take the train across Siberia it was going to be meditative the trans-siberian correct I've heard of that train so I started in Moscow and I ended in Beijing and I stopped along the way. And I wanted to go to a place called Lake Bacal, which is in, you know, near Mongolia. And there's an island on, in it called Olkon Island. And I just wanted to go to this island and camp. And I remember once I got there and I had this guide and I remember asking, I was like, what do we do? He's like, you will watch the fire. Like, that's all we did. And it was the first time I remember it was like, there was kind of before that moment where I was so attached to my Blackberry, so kind of running. And then there was after that where I was like, you just enjoy. Like, every moment was so vivid. And it's amazing. Like, to be really free in the world, like, I had one pair of pants, one pair of sweat, one sweater, two shirts. I didn't have a phone. And I just traveled. Like, every day was a little bit different. And I, again, I had no responsibility. There's something about being truly free and having no responsibility and exploring the world. And I remember getting to Beijing and walking in and it was like, I had my bags, I couldn't speak the language, like it smelled totally different. And I remember just like, I love everything about this. Like, it's just so different and I can't wait to explore. And I kept traveling. I just loved it. And as you know, like as, as a parent, like once you have children, you're never mentally free. No. Like you will always, you'll always worry about them. And so there's a brief moment when you're an adult till you have kids where you actually are truly free. Absolutely. Because that's really what it is. It's like that nomadic impetus just to go, to go and put yourself in a different landscape, a different environment, to not worry, to be able to put down a phone. That is a pre-kids experience because you're right. You can try. I've tried to go off by myself. It's hard. I mean, I can, but I'm. your brain is will forever be with them. You're always going to want to check in. You're always going to worry. And I think there is something about, you know, even in this time, it's hard to ever fully disconnect. I have no doubt if I went back to that island, I would have cell access. And, you know, there was something about like really forcing a break and just enjoying that experience. And I think I love that sense of adventure. So I used to bike to work every day and I would never take the same path. And in part because like, I just, I love getting lost. Like I love getting lost and figuring it out. I love exploring, like seeing new things, like seeing a new restaurant, like seeing a new house, like somebody changed their garden. Like I just, there's something about like that tiny minuscule <laughs> sense of adventure that you get when you're, you know, working and with kids that really kept my brain alive. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm not the biggest fan of routine and routine is what children obviously thrive on. But finding the variance, I think freedom and variety would be cornerstones of happiness for me as well. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing I used to do with my dad when I was little is I would get in the car and he wouldn't have a destination and I would get to pick left or right. Yeah, that's funny. I used to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some people who love that kind of adventure and some people who just don't. But I love that sense of wild adventure, like no idea where I'm going to be. Like I have spring break next week and I do not know where I'm going. That's super fun. I like that. I think it's really good being that kind of a parent as well. I think they get to see that modeled, just that idea of get lost. Yeah. And you can always figure it out. There's always somewhere to stay, always somewhere to eat. You can always sleep in your car. It's a good exercise. Yeah, exactly. And also you can 
always figure out where the North Star is. We just learned that on a camping trip in the desert recently. Mm -hmm. It was so brilliant. There's all sorts of tricks you can always find. Yeah. What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I had a, a truly extraordinary childhood. I've had the same best friend since I had, again, I met one of my best friends in kindergarten, another a couple of years later. And there's something about true love that when you can go through all those iterations, again, I go through my childhood, I go through adulthood, you know, it's up and down and it's incredibly supportive, real connection that endures and also evolves and evolves. And it's, it, it's, yeah. it's the type of thing where, again, I think about it from like a, a rubber band perspective is you have that ability to stay connected, but you're not, it's not restrictive. Again, I think back on, on the relationship and also how different we all are now, but yet how supportive of like the true person and like evolving mm. and becoming your, your, that real person. So I'm grateful to the whole community that I grew up in because it's a community. Like we do events all the time for like the community that we grew up with. And it's all these people who I've known since kindergarten. Wow. And my parents' friends. It's this like true appreciation for differences and that you're a unique person. Hmm. And I think that's kind of one thing that I love is like that in some ways, like the, the more you are truly you, it's like everyone shines. There's no force of conformity other than like you should be the, the true you. Hmm. So I, I feel really lucky. Whenever people talk about me and my sisters and I almost feel I have to correct them because it does take a village in that capacity. And I think back, again, my friend they met in kindergarten, those parents, like I call them Imanaba, like mom and dad and their siblings, like they were part of the whole community that raised all of us and that are still taught me about true relationships and true connection. That's so interesting, this huge business that you're doing when actually the fundament of it is because... It feels to me that microcosm of a connected community that you come from, beloved and appreciated and supportive, you just take that to the macro and you put that on a global. Like imagine if one could have that feeling of connectivity and community on a global scale, like how different the world will be. Like I completely understand why you, why 23andMe is like your life's work. Like that makes, that's super cool though. It, I really like that it's connected to your emotional evolution, to how you yourself evolved. I think in some ways the best companies are almost just an extension of the person. Do you think that that is exactly what it is, that, that really yeah. the ones that work, are they are connected on a deep level? Yeah. I Like to me, 23andMe is not a, it's not like it's just a company. When I talk to a lot of the founders in the area where they've done really well and it's and they've stayed connected, it's because it's such an extension of them. And in a lot of ways, like I'm perpetually fueled by the intellectual curiosity and also the sense of community, I think, that we foster and we foster a real community. I think there's nothing more lonely than the experience of health and being sick and trying mm -hmm. to find the right people that you can connect to. So I think doing more in that area and then connecting the world as a family mm -hmm. and helping people see that, you know, celebrate that the connectedness, but also each person's individuality. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What question would you most like answered? What, as a child, used to keep me up at night? What, again, this is, I, I, like, I remember learning about things like the electron transport chain, like, like how your cells work. <laughs> And your DNA and wondering like your body is this incredible, like each cell is like New York City and it functions and I don't do anything. I go to bed and all this work is happening. And I remember as a kid, I was like, doesn't it keep you up? Like, how is it all happening? And so again, the things that perplex me the most are the molecular biology and and how the body works. And, and that's what, again, what gets down to the genome. Like that's the code. Like, how is it that you have such spectacular diversity on this planet? And where does this all come from? Is that what made you so interested in observable DNA reports? Like, is that where it began? There's two things that like were, were big triggers for me. So one, as a child, I loved twin studies. Like I remember when National Geographic pulled out a whole, you know, edition about twins and the twin studies. And I remember just pouring through it and just fascinated, like identical twins separated at birth. What's similar? What's, what's genetic and what's environment? And the first time I had ever heard about DNA was from my mom and she was yelling about something. She was, I was about five and she was yelling at my sister for something about her jeans. And I remember thinking she was wearing shorts and that my mom was confused. <laughs> and, and so I kept asking, I was like, what are jeans? What are jeans? And then my mom explained, you know, jeans and environment. And I was just fascinated. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's like a code inside you and then it interacts with your environment and you have this ability to understand the code and then, you know, change how you live. And then you could, I remember asking her, I was like, then you could live forever. Like you could, you'd be healthy. And so from early on, I was always fascinated with health. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about going to medical school. And I love people. Like I loved, I worked as a patient advocate and I loved just like sitting with people as they're, you know, waiting for surgery. And I remember talking to this woman who was the first black family in Napa and remember hearing everything about, you know, like the journey that they had across and, you know, what it was like living there and just sitting there while she was waiting for surgery. Like every human is fascinating. And so kind of it was that combination of like, I love genetics. I love looking at genes and environment. And I love the story. Like I love connecting with people. It's the stories, like the story. First of all, I have to tell you just really quickly as an adjunct because my mother when she was dying we were telling stories with her and she went do you remember when you made me do the 23 and me and I was like yeah because I wanted to make sure that we were related and she <laughs> said and, and I said to you they're only going to find out that I'm 50% red lipstick <laughs> we did it together because we were interested we were interested in those stories and in the stories of our ancestors so where that begins your health story is connected to that but I loved finding out. I am quite literally as Anglo-Saxon as it gets. I'm like 99.7% British and Irish, which is astonishing, which means that like my people literally never left that sodden, freezing cold, lump, <laughs> lumpish island that is England. <laughs> well, you proved them. You moved to California. Good job. You're the breakout. And of course, now I've, my skin is not supposed to be in the Californian sun, but I'm fully aware of that because I know what my history is. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's what's fun is like you can look a certain way and people think they know their ancestry, but there's always interesting surprises. Everyone also finds relatives, like whether, you know, your Mm -hmm. ancestry actually matches what you thought it was, your genetic ancestry matches what you thought. But then there's like the whole world of like you're connected to people that you never knew you were connected to. And we even found that we have a first cousin that we didn't know about. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's I always tell people, like, if you don't have a family, a DNA relative story, you know, just sit back and wait. And I'm sure one will come your way. Like the reality is that life is complicated. Life is long and people like sex. And so, you know, you end up having a lot of relatives that you didn't necessarily know about. I think I have to find out that Adam Driver is my cousin. Oh, you know, that was one of the first studies we ever did is Warren Buffett and Jimmy Buffett. Oh, my God. I want to find out. They came to us determined, like, you have to find out how we're related. We had a very brief conversation once. I had family, driver family moved from Ireland to Canada, and they then moved down to the neighboring state that Adam Driver's family is from. And it felt like there was proximity enough that there was a likelihood if it was a neighboring state, but I'd love to know. That would be a fun follow on to the story. He might not want to know. He'd be like, God, no, because if I am, then that's going to follow me around like a yoke. (laughs) People are going to ask me forever. But connection and storytelling, like that is the nexus of science and art, like right there. So, Well, it's one of the things that's interesting is most of science today is not made accessible. I agree. So that was like one of the other things, like my father is a particle physicist. And when there was a Nobel Prize given for the expanding universe, and I remember asking my dad, I was like, what's the difference between an expanding universe versus an inflating universe? And he looks at me, he's like, well, one is expanding and one's inflating. And I was like, oh, you know, thanks, dad. That's great. I I didn't catch that. And I realized like there has to be a way to make science accessible and relatable. I see because, again, I have my little kids like fourth grade humor when people are like looking at like, oh, I can do this with my like I'm double jointed. Can you do this? Can you do that? Like that's like we're all different. And how do you get people excited about human, you know, human variety, human variation and like the magical experience of science? I mean, I wonder if it make us more tolerant as well. Like the more that we see, being able to twist your tongue is a genetic coding. But that idea that I wonder if you see someone who looks differently to you, but they can do the same thing that you can do with your body. So there is this connection, there are these pathways and bridges. Like I wonder if that also, like the more that we know, the more that we know that we're connected, will we start living in a more connected way? Will there be a sort of systemic societal change based on really bellying up to our connectivity rather than the hideous separation that everyone seems to keep fighting for. Well, we had some, and there was a story that was written about this of somebody who, you know, was descendant of white supremacists who had a child that they um, had lost track of or didn't know about. And then that child had multiracial children and they reconnected on 23andMe. Wow. And he said, he's like, I had to really reassess my past, like how I was raised, because these are my grandchildren and I'm going to love them. And it's this whole, it's a really wonderful story about sort of that reconciliation of like, and the father of these children was like, was I excited to have a, you know, white supremacist (laughs) grandfather? Like, no, but like, it's family. So we're going, we're going to work through it. And they spend time together. So I do think it's been an eye opener for a number of customers to realize that they have this assumption of like, oh, I'm French or I'm, I'm something. But the reality is you are quite connected to everyone. And one day there's going to be the ability to put together a human map where every single person is connected. Hmm. And so we are all connected. I mean, then the amazing thing too, the, the reason why I'm fascinated with DNA is like, it's so simple. You have four letters, ACG, and it represents all of life. 
So my kids, like, again, talk about this all the time. You are connected to a banana. Like, you have DNA in common. And I was like, and you are more connected to a snail. Like, we are interconnected to everything that's alive on this planet. And it's a remarkable story of, like, how, like, again, such a simple foundation can lead to such spectacular diversity everywhere. And the diversity is the story of our success. You know, you have dark skin for a reason. And you have pale skin for a reason. And part of it is because there's survival advantages around that. So, you know, some mutations are just random and some mutations like make it that you are more likely to survive. So that's why we should absolutely celebrate and embrace like diversity is why we know that the human species is going to survive. Like one thing I'm fascinated with is again, this world of global global warming. I had one day my head of marketing, um, it was 130 degrees in Arizona. My head of marketing's like, I have to go down to Arizona. I just, I love it when it's over 120. And I remember staring at her. I was like, you are made for global warming. Like you're going to survive. I don't like heat. Yeah. There's even like that kind of variety. Like some people just love super, super hot weather. So we have, again, we should absolutely be embracing this kind of diversity and like celebrating and mining it and understanding it that we're all very different. I agree. 23andMe is is part of like the interest in that as well, that thinking about molecular biology, of mapping what we can know, of mapping as much as we can know while leaving space for that which we will never know. Was that part of the impetus of going, well, let's create maps where we can? Well, part of, for 23andMe was like, we should understand what the human genome does. Like how we should understand how it works. It's a code. Right. It's a code. In my mind, it almost gets down to, again, going back to the physics element, which is like functions off some, there's major rules, like E equals MC squared. Like there's major rules. Like biology doesn't have a lot of that other than we have, you know, the A, C, G, and T. But I'm trying, like there's some amazing work now that's about how does that actually translate into a protein and then can you predict the function? Is that where the health reports would come from? That kind of idea that you can predict the kinds of things that would happen around certain sets of DNA? A hundred percent. So the whole idea here is like everyone is born with a certain set of risks. So the same way, like you have this incredible variation in your genome. And so you can have blue eyes, you have brown eyes, but you can also have, you know, being higher risk for diabetes, lower risk for diabetes. Very little of your genetics is deterministic, meaning like, you know, you can have a genetic predisposition for something. Correct. But it doesn't mean you're definitely going to have it. Right. Right. To me, then it was all about, well, you interact with the environment all day long. So how am I eating? You know, how am I exercising? Like I'm standing right now. You know, there's all the kinds of data about how you stand. Like I sleep. I absolutely prioritize sleeping because there's all kinds of data now actually pointing to mental health and your physical health and how much you're actually sleeping and then what time you go to bed. So I've always been interested in the interaction. So you have your cells all communicating, but then you also get all these inputs. That's why it's so spectacularly complicated. Great. So I'm glad that you're unwrapping all of this and not me. I will continue <laughs> to spit into my thing and you'll then tell me what's up. And this is where, again, I, I feel like we're, we're surrounded by amazing people who just, the amount of data now that we can have, we can like start to find these things and like really help people understand risks. I think that's the key, being able to help people assess the risk and sort of get out ahead of things potentially. Right. And also, no, I mean, most of the world doesn't focus on prevention. I mean, it's a really sad part of healthcare is that healthcare doesn't make money if you never get sick. 
like I read about, there's this ranger who just retired at 100. She's amazing. She and she was a park ranger. She retired at 100. Obama gave her a tribute. But she's kind of the example. It's like she is healthy at 100. You're not generating a lot of money for the health system. Right. So when you're sick, you generate money. But if you're healthy. Oh, my God, it's so awful. That's so Orwellian. It's such a hideous idea. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why we're self-pay and part of the reason, you know, 23 Me is focused on that world of prevention. But it's in your hands then. So what do you do if you're afraid of finding out that you're predisposed potentially to something, even though you know it's not deterministic? Like how can people kind of belly up to the idea that I'm going to look at this health report and I'm going to see that there is a certain percentage chance that I may be predisposed to this? I mean, the reality is everyone's at risk for something. Right. And if you look at your family history, you probably know, you know, various risks that you may or may not have. So the data that we have so far is that, you know, it's it's people find out something like they're higher risk for Alzheimer's and it will cause people to really think about it and they can be anxious initially, but it returns to baseline. So it changes their life in terms of like very practical things. Like in the case of Alzheimer's, people were going and buying long-term care insurance. Hmm. So being proactive. So one of the big things we think about is you know, can you actually help people know how to live their life? So we're never going to be able to tell you the day you're going to die. Like people always ask that. I was like, no, 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 that product would cost a lot more money. We don't have that, but we can help you understand risks. So if you know that, for instance, you're higher risk for type 2 diabetes, you can really modify. You can change your eating habits. Or things like, you know, I look at more severe conditions, even like chronic kidney disease. You can test proactively. You know, the reality is like you have to be a partner with your physician as well to know what are your risks? What are the things that you have to look for? Because you're not going to get screened for everything all the time. So what are the things that you want to think about? And then also, how are you making intentional decisions with how you're living your life in terms of what you eat or how you exercise or how you sleep? And it doesn't have to be absolute. Like you don't, if you're high risk for something, like you can still have the cookie. It's just a question of like moderation and being aware. Yeah. Awareness. That's the key. You know, there's certain people also where it's just not the right product for them. You're right. But for people who want to, you know, who like knowing and want to be more proactive, then it's absolutely, you know, the right thing for them. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is the quality you like least about yourself? Oh, interesting. You know, I'm generally relatively supportive of myself. Um, so, so I have, I mean, there's things that are, I'm often criticized for, which is I'm not terribly punctual. I love the fact that you'd say, like, what quality you like least about yourself is like, no, I'm good with me. Here's what other people are not good with me about. Like, not always punctual. Okay. I mean, I, I look, I think the reality is you have to appreciate yourself and accept yourself. I couldn't him. agree with you more. Yeah. So I think there's things, you know, you just at some point, also, you reach a point, you're like, I just am the way I am. So I anyways, I, I could absolutely be more punctual. I have moments where I'm unrealistic. 
I think what's interesting though is the advocacy for self. Like that to me is the kind of, that's the headline from this is perhaps we would all be slightly more successful in our humanity if we were just to embrace the stuff that we categorically know is difficult about ourselves, but go, well, this is part of me. And there's all this other stuff that really balances out the annoying stuff. I like the idea that you're an advocate for yourself. Exactly. I think that everyone has to understand their strengths and their weaknesses. And so there's the, like, I, I joke, I was like, like, I, like, I don't really get dressed. I'm not great at fashion. I'm, and <laughs> I, there's just certain areas we've just given up on and, and you just embrace it at some point and realize like my strength. And I think about this, even how I run the company, I am good at thinking big. I'm good at challenging status quo. Um, hmm. but I'm not always great with structure. So I, I can hire, like I have a really great team around me who's really good with structure and there's ways that you can then manage that, but just recognizing like it's, you know, it's, it's just a little bit how I, I am. I have this really lovely yoga instructor who calls me the princess of possibilities. And <laughs> I, I tend to always err on positive, like even on people, like I, I strongly believe everyone's great at something. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And so you just have to find out what it is and you have to, and then that gets back to the previous thing about adventure. Like you have to then explore enough to know, like, what are you actually good at. I think that also takes confidence. I think a lot of people, if they get the impression that you're looking for is great about them, they will, their lack of belief in themselves will stop you either being able to find it or stop their own inquiry into what that is. Because it's funny how a lot of people are, they believe that they're not, that they don't have anything great about them. Yeah. I see that sometimes. And I see, and I do, I absolutely credit my parents with this and particularly my mom. Like, my mom is almost annoyingly so such a cheerleader. Like, that is so great. You look so good. That was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, my mom's a high school teacher. And her specialty really was always taking kids in freshman year who often lack self-confidence and and giving them confidence. Mm. And just, and in some ways showing, like she, my mom was always really critical. She's like, oh, I'll mark up your essay. Like, write an essay for me and I'm going to destroy it. But you're going to rewrite it. And then you're going to give it back to me and I'm going to mark it up more. And then you're going to rewrite it again. And you're going to do that until you get an A. Oh my God. And so my mom was like very much of that type. And like, and she, she's, she would hold on to these. I mean, she would show up at kids' houses and be like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. Like, we got to rewrite it. Like wow. she was really good at helping people realize like you're full of potential. You just got to get it. Like work on that. And so I do think that sense of self-confidence and giving kids that opportunity. I mean, again, I see this now with my three-year-old, like when she is so proud of herself when she can take off her dress and like, like <laughs> she's, she like does a little happy dance. Like she's just like, like that sense of accomplishment. So like throughout kids' lives, you got to reward them. Like you got something done. Like that's great. What would your last meal be? I'm not a diehard food person. It can be experiential as well, you know, like the where you would be and what the vibe would be. Oh, well, experiential would be everything. I love, again, a big event with a family-style dinner. I'm not formal. There would be no organized cutlery. <laughs> it would be like we have a dinner every Sunday night at my at my house. There's no organization. It's a little bit of a free for all. I love being with my friends I've been with for a long time. I'm all about quality of food. Yes. And not specific type. I've had the most amazing like 
local organic celery. My, and my kids always make fun of me. They're like, what did you say? I was like, I just love fresh celery. Again, my whole thing is all about something that's pure. Like I always hate veneers. So like food that's masks, like those little tiny bunny carrots mm-hmm. that are tiny. I, 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 and also, have you seen how quickly they go off in your fridge? Like they don't survive. There's nothing better than like going into the garden and like I see my daughter, like she eats all the mint off the plant. Mm. It's so cute. Pulling vegetables up and like going, I used to love being sent out into the garden. Mum would be like, go and get me two heads of lettuce and some new potatoes. And then that's what we'd eat. It was great. Again, also when we lived in France, we had our first garden and the neighbors across the street grew raspberries. So we were always like sneaking into there. Into there to get the mm-hmm, raspberries. To bushes. steal the raspberries. Mm. Those are the best. They really are. In fact, stolen fruit is, stolen it's, fruit is arguably better. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. In your life, can you tell me something that has grown out of a personal disaster? I mean, there's so many disasters. I mean, I think the most public one, you know, when 23andMe got our warning letter. Oh, yeah, from the FDA. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing, I was talking to someone the other day, and she was like, I didn't realize the full story. Like, I had a one-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I was getting divorced in a very public way. And then I got the FDA come after me. Wow, that's a lot to be happening at, at one time. Yeah, no, people always say, you know, you have the pie chart of your life. You know, you have your work, you have your personal life, you have your kids. Like, you need something to be stable. Yeah. And that was one of those moments where I remember coming home, I'd be like, I don't have anything that's stable. Like, there's nothing. (laughs) There's nothing. And, you know, I remember people saying, they're like, oh, this is time when shops, like companies close up, Anne. And again, it was it was just unbelievably hard, like little kids and managing the publicity Mm. of the divorce. So all of that. But I look back and I'm like... But life is now so good. Like we got through the FDA. I hired amazing people. My children are fabulous. And, you know, all things and all relationships, like you, you move on. It regenerates. Like You regenerate. You regenerate. And, and I bring up that example mostly because it was the most public. But it was, it was hard. And it was hard. Like I remember the first time having to go to a public event. And it was like, you, you know, when everyone's looking at you. Like there was an article called, what was it? Oh, 23 and Stupid. And, and I'm friends with the author. So I was like, kind of love. Like, but people are all talking about you. Oh, my God. No, the public aspect. Like when your life is fracturing and you add in that it is made public, that compounds the fracture, like without a shadow of a doubt. It's quite hard to explain. The idea of everybody knowing and judging your something painful that you're going through is is difficult. It's hard. And I think it goes back to that question of what I don't like about myself. Like I do really like myself. And so what kept me whole in that time frame is I was like, I am very confident of our path forward, confident that everyone's good at something, that there's a better again, going back like princess of possibilities, like it's all gonna be okay. And so there's something for me about like when I think of my North Star in life is always like, it's gonna be okay. And in some ways I think if you have that attitude, then you're just riding waves. It's like surfing. You're just like like sometimes you got a big or wave. But there's something good in everything. Like our FDA stuff was challenging, but like there's good in everything. So you just have to find that. And again, as a forward-looking individual, like I'm always focused on, you know, things will be okay. That is a lovely place to conclude. Things will be okay. I teamed up with 23andMe for today's episode with Anne. You can hear more podcast hosts discuss their experience with 23andMe on the podcast, Spit hosted by the magnificent Baratunde Thurston. 
And if you liked his episode of Mini Questions, you will love his work on the Spit podcast. Subscribe to Spit wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so that you can be the first to listen when the new season comes out on May 5th. To learn more about 23andMe and Anne's work with the company, visit 23andMe.com. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR, Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max.